0: the band leading us in worship, yes, 2021, baby, we made it! We saved Christmas, hallelujah. Anybody? Oh gosh, I feel like we're gonna have Christmas in here today. We're starting a new series. Um, We're gonna call it the year of yes, the year of yes. And we believe that there are lots of responses and opportunities uh, for us to say yes to God in 2021. And so many things got canceled. We had to say no to so many things in 2020 that we are gonna be saying yes a lot of things in 2021, and I hope that you'll get on the yes train. Um, And today we're going to do something a little bit different, and I want to start off by asking some questions and introducing a thought um, about what life would look like if we said yes to God, and then I'm going to spin it to start the series, and we're going to look at God's first yes in the Bible and surrendering to God's yes for our lives. And I think we're going to find there's a competition that oftentimes is occurring that is between our best and God's yes. And that sometimes those two things are not the same. And so whenever we try to substitute our best for God's yes, it leads to all kinds of problems. And so I'll get into that in just a moment. So as we're going to look at in the series of different people in the Bible that said yes to God and what the consequences of those decisions were and how they unlocked so many things changed so many lives. And I wanted you to think about what would it be like if you said yes to God? Wouldn't a yes to God create a, a greater God-conscious in your life? I think that, that coming out of isolation, so many of us are like... Um, we're like cave dwellers emerging, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like COVID cave dwellers. You're like, mm, I'm coming out. Back into the real world, you know? And so as you're doing that, I think there's an acclimation process. And I think we've even seen that in church. It's like you come back into church, you are like, Man, I, do I see some people? Some people I don't know. Some new people I don't know. And so you're trying to get acclimated. That's a process. That's a process that you got to fight through. You got to fight uh, with. And, and so there, there is that. And then there's, like uh, saying yes to God's cause over convenience. You know, there's never going to be a convenience season. You know, if, I, I remember uh, as a young pastor, uh, you know, you'd hear people and then, you know, I don't know, I don't, know, I don't think I'm a young pastor anymore, but, um, you know, you, you kind of have this philosophy of like, well, when I get out of college, then I'll, you know, have time to serve. And then you're like, well, let me get married and then like, well, let me have kids. And then it's like, well, let me get these kids grown and then I'll have more time for the Lord for, for, for your whole life. Your whole life just got spent not serving the Lord because you were looking for a convenient season. And so maybe in 2021, you could endeavor to say yes to God's cause, even when it's not convenient. Saying yes to letting go of things that hinder us from pursuing after God. There's weights that we carry around. There's sometimes sin even that we carry around that prevent us from doing all that we could do for God. And as we're thinking about that God consciousness, I'd, I'd like to say this. I'd, I want to ask you a question. Have, do you ever think in 2021, as we're setting like the bar, what are resolutions, or maybe it's like a, it's a restart, if you will, and this is the biggest restart in our lifetime. Um, and so if we're thinking about that, can I give you a question that I'd like to guide you for 2021? And that question is this, is what is God trying to do? Just, just general statement. What is God trying to do? Have you you put any thought in the last year, as it's been a roller coaster ride, have you put any thought into what is God trying to do? Now, painting with a very broad brush, I would say that God is ultimately always trying to save as many souls as He possibly can. If we distill everything in the Bible down to to one concept, it is that man was made for worship. Sin interrupted our created purpose. And then the redemption of our sinful selves is what God is all about. And so how we then interact, move, and breathe amongst that calling is is what i'm trying to move toward today so i want you to think what is god trying to do he's trying to save the world how is he trying to save it through his church his church is the vehicle by which he propagates the gospel so we have the opportunity to be salt and light we get to be hands and feet of jesus giving out the gospel the lifeline of hope, the lifeline of eternity, of redemption, of grace, all the good stuff that God has. You are the plan, okay? You are the plan. So, if God's will, He's trying to save as many as possible, and you and I are the vehicle, then I want you to begin asking yourself a simple question. How are you interacting with that plan? How, how, how are you playing your part in that plan? And so we begin to then dive deeper and deeper into the cerebellum, and we begin to ask ourselves, you know, is my life revolving around what God is trying to do? And oftentimes we move, right? We move what God is trying to do into a a box, and we set it over here, and then we have what I'm trying to do. And when you are competing now with what you are trying to do against what God is trying to do, I think this is going to give rise to the scenario we'll consider in just a moment, where your best is competing with God's yes. And this story is gonna be the story of Abraham and God is trying to bless him with a child and we're going to see today that oftentimes we are actually battling God. God is trying to bless us and we are trying to battle the blessing that he's trying to get to us and ultimately through us. And it's crazy how we are. And every parent in here knows that this is true. You tell your little child, do not go play in the road. Do not stick the fork. Do not put that quarter in your mouth. Right? Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And and your children are like, the more you tell them do not do it, what do they do? They're just like, you see them over there with a fork in their hand. They're like, why? You are trying to prevent me from magic. Yes, you will experience a very, very magical feeling that you will never want to feel again. But it's a we are… We are broken crazy that way. We know we shouldn't do it, but, but it's as if God, in our minds, is trying to prevent us from something, from some amazing thing. No, he's trying to prevent us from pain. He's trying to prevent us from suffering. And so, as parents, every good, loving parent tries to shield their kids from that, and so they give them a plan. And if we stay within that plan, it's like an umbrella in the rain. The rain can be raining all around you, But if you're in the favor of God, if you're in the will of God, you can get to the destination without getting messed up. And so I hope that you'll begin thinking about God's promise for your life, His yes for your life. And you're going to realize today in the story that Abraham decided to go outside of the plan. He tried to to go outside of the promise, and that's going to mess him up. And in Genesis chapter 16, Sarah comes to Abraham and says, Hey, Let's have a baby and instead of since I'm not able to provide for you, then you can use my my handmaid and you can sleep with her and essentially we'll we'll produce God's will our way. We'll produce God's will our way. God, let me help you accomplish your will. You must need my help because you're taking too long. So they took matters into their own hands. In Genesis 16, they have a child, Ishmael. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to get into a lot of ish whenever you go outside of God's plan for your life. And so today I hope that you'll consider you'll consider that the promises of God, man, we get into so much trouble whenever we move away. So in this text, it's a response. God is coming to Abraham to try to get him back on track. And one of the greatest evidences from an apologetics perspective of the Bible is like, how do I know the Bible's true? If there's any skeptics in the crowd, I welcome you. I love you. I always want to talk with you. And if you ever want to talk with me offline, please come and ask me these questions. But One of the greatest concepts is that every book that is written by man will always favor the favorable attributes of those men. But the Bible includes all of the bad. I mean the bad. When you think of David with Bathsheba, when you think of Moses, when he struck the rock, he was supposed to speak to the rock, Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, all of these Bible characters have these flaws. And if this book was written by these men, they would have edited. They would have, they would have put their best foot forward. They would have shined in the story. But instead we see their flaws and their fallacies. And that's one of the evidences that God wanted us to see ourselves within the pages. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like whenever I read these tragic tales of people reaching outside. I mean, can you imagine? Like, oh, I'll get to that in just a moment. I'm getting excited. I haven't preached in a couple of weeks. You know how I am. And so, I'll just, I'll just get into the text, and then we'll get to the story. It says that God also said to Abraham, as your wife Sarai… So, if you guys didn't know this, there's a couple of name changes in the Bible. When God meets Abraham, he was just Abram. And then he changes his name to Abraham. And in both of these names, it implies in their name an expansion of who they are and what they will do as a result of them relating to God's promise in their life. So, here is Sarah's name change moment. So, right after Ishmael has occurred in 16, 17, God comes back to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, which means princess, you are no longer going to call her Sarai. Her name is going to be called Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that you will be, uh, so she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. 17. I think we often think of these regal figures as always just receiving God's plan, right? And like, yes, yes, Lord, I'll fall down. They have like a British accent. Um, But 17, it says, Abraham fell face down and laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man who is 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Can any of the 90-year-olds in here relates to thinking about having a baby at that age. Sarah was barren on top of being past the bearing years. And so, what a crazy scenario is being put forth. Verse 19, here is the first yes in the NIV translation of the Bible, the first yes in all the Bible. The Bible nerd in me, who's been doing this for a very, very long time, always loves to like, how can I hash it, dash it, dice it, and get a new angle on it? And and as we were thinking about the concept of the year of yes, I was like, well, what is the first yes in the Bible? This is it, an answer to a doubt. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah, the name He just gave, which means mother of nations, of which kings would rise. Yes, but your wife Sarah, that's what I'm going to call her, I know what she was born, but this is what she was born again to be. Anyway, I'm just preaching. A little fun stuff for me as a preacher. Just, you know, let me nerd out here. Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So I want to say the first yes is an answer to doubt. And doubt is a demon that we all must dance with, Right? Anybody in here, by show of hands, ever dance with doubt? Anybody? Yeah. At some juncture, we're all gonna dance with doubt. Whether it's doubt about God, whether it's doubt about uh, the church, doubt about whether we have enough, whether we are enough, whatever it is that you have doubt, some point, all of us are going to dance with doubt. And and it's tricky, because on one hand, if a person is arrogant and self-reliant, they'll be like, well, I don't have any doubts at all. But you're arrogant. You're depending on you. You're not depending on God. But if, on the other side of arrogance, is cowardice, right? You can't have, so you can't be so fear-driven that you sit and you shelter up and you you don't go out and venture out in, in faith at all. And so somewhere in between cowardice and arrogance, we're trying to find this sweet spot. And I think the Bible here is, is talking about Abraham and how do we get to this place that it's not belief- Without doubt, it's belief in spite of doubt. I don't think that you'll ever get to the place that you don't have some doubts about some things, doubts about marriage, doubts about your children, doubts about like where they're going or what they're going to turn up or they're going to make a bad decision. You have all these anxieties that drive you. And so I don't think that you'll ever have belief without any doubt. I think it's belief in spite of doubt that, that belief becomes the master that doubt must obey. And so, in 2021, I hope that you can develop, cultivate a belief that is able to push through whenever doubts are hitting you in the face. I thought about Abraham and Sarah concocting this plan to go against what God has for them. It's like God has has brought them out, and He's blessed them, and now He's saying, I'm going to take this to the next step, and and we're going to bring about this child. And and it's been, I think, 20 years have passed since Abraham's original calling. And so you can imagine how impatient that we might get. And so what do we do when when we're impatient, whenever we start thinking about things? This is where the, the battle begins, where they're battling God for the blessing, that God is trying to bless them and yet they're battling him over whether or not they want to stay under the umbrella. Now, why would you ever want to get out from under the umbrella? I don't know, but we do. We just do. We like it out there. We like to just venture out and find out what's… I mean, it's, it's so crazy. And the, the first battle, I'm going to give you three that I think we all have. It's decisions without permission. Decision without permission. That… Everyone in here will relate to this. That if you've ever worked on a team and you, you got together and you developed a plan. Has anybody ever worked on like a school project or if you're on teams at work, if you have employees, you sit there and you like you like hash it out, right? You hash, like, okay, step one, that's what we're gonna do. Step two, step three, step four. Okay, you got step one, okay, you got step two. And you like d- d- develop a pie chart, you got a flow chart, you got responsibility, you got deliverables. I mean, you got this master plan, right? And then you go away and if it's a week, it's two weeks, you come back together, And I will guarantee you, like you were aiming at the moon and someone landed on Mars. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like they come back and like what they were supposed to do is nothing close to what you guys agreed on. And then then people will ask you like, well, did you talk? Yes, we talked about it. Did you write it? Yes, we wrote it down. Well, did they understand? Yes, they understood. They repeated it back to me. Well, how did they get on Mars? I don't know. Raise your hand if you've ever been in this scenario. I guarantee you have. And if, and if you haven't, then you are the person that I'm talking about. And I call it rogue decisions. Rogue decisions. People make command decisions, rogue decisions, and, and you're not authorized. It's like if, if it's yours, if it's yours, like Kelly, if it's yours, you do with what you want. It's yours. Do with it what you want. You want to cut your lawn into the shape of a Dallas cowboy? That's fine. But if it's ours, then we have to discuss it. It's a collaboration, you see. If you go rogue on me, then, then how can we get to the desired destination? We can't get there. Command decisions, autonomous decisions. You see, God's promise, imagine his promise like their parameters. And whenever we stay within the parameters of God's promise, it's always going to go well. Always going to go well. Even if you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll get to the light on the other side. But every time we go rogue, it ends up in pain and problems. Can you imagine God as the project manager of Garden of Eden? All right, can you, can you imagine that for just a moment with me? He's like, Hey, you guys, all of these trees, just willy nilly it. I mean, enjoy frolic, okay? And I made you husband and wife. It says that they were naked and it was good. And the church said, Amen. I mean, have a ball, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, this was God's design for humanity. And he comes back, like, what? I don't know. Was it a day? Was it a couple of days? And he's like, what? You did what? Like of all the tr- all of them? Like you chose the one? The one that I said you can't? Why? Why do we? And, and I don't think that you would be any different than Adam and Eve. I think that there's, there's something inside of us, and because of sin, now we all have this propensity to want to reach outside. We, we make these rogue command decisions that are outside of the promises of God. And I want to I challenge you on that. For just a moment, on whose authority are you making these decisions? Is your life being guided by a whim or a word? Because I would rather have my life guided by God's word, not a whim. Because in the bigger things, you hear people say this all the time they just decided. Adam and Sarah, you know what? They just decided, you know what? We know what God said, but we're going to do it. And you hear people say, well, we just got married. Yeah, we just decided, we're just going to get married. We decided we're going to have kids. Well, how many kids? Are you going to have? We decided we're going to have kids. I just decided I was going to quit my job today. I decided I was going to quit my church today. I just decided that I'm going to quit my marriage today. I just decided. I just want you to, to start having a little bit of God consciousness about that. Like, are you going through a God process to get to a God decision? Or are you just deciding? Are you just like making a, a like, oh, you're going, go my gut. Go on my gut, Pastor Tim. That's my, I don't know what voice that is. Anyway, your gut will be led by indigestion. Like, had a vision after you had bad barbecue. I mean, come on. At some juncture, you got to say to yourself that there's a process And that God has made a promise and that you can't, you're not allowed to make decisions outside of that promise if you want to get to God's destination for your life. So decisions without permission. A couple of other things. I think we also try to limit God by human logic. And that limitation is often, as I mentioned earlier, our best. And we're going to look at two bests that I think we try to offer up as a substitute for God's yes. The best, number one, the best I can do. It was the best that I could do. So when Abraham and Sarai had Ishmael, that was the best that they could do. And they wanted to limit God to their best. And I was like, man, that's crazy. Like God is not limited to what we can make. He's not limited by what our hands can do. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you have a God that is limited by what you can do, then your God isn't big enough. That you're not, you're not dream, If if the dream that God has for you, you can accomplish on your own, then you don't have a big enough God and you don't have a big enough dream because God places us in positions where he's gonna give us a dream that's so big that we can't do it. We literally can't do it. And it drives us to a place of humility where we're on our knees saying, God, please help me because I cannot pull this off. And God is like, that's my specialty. I like to pull things off so that when people see that, they'll know that I used you to do something greater than you could have ever done on your own. Man, your best. Can you imagine how crazy that is? the best that I could do. That we're trying to argue with God and we're trying to say to God, is there any way, though, I know what your plan is, God, but can, can we just do it my way? Does anybody else have a, a side seat driver that likes to do this all the time? Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They're not even a back seat. They're almost like grabbing the steering wheel and like trying to tell you what to do all the time. Yeah. Now that's the way you are with God. God is like, no, 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 mm-hmm. no. Uh, who's God? Are you God? Can you imagine how crazy it was that Abraham and Sarah sat there and like held up Ishmael like Simba, right? <laughs> it's like, let him live, God. Let, let my best live. I just want to substitute my best for your yes. Man, I, I just want you to know, when you step outside of the promise that God has for you, problems are going to occur, pain is going to occur, and you might be having some problems and some pain in your life right now, this very moment, and I just wonder, could you, could you wrestle with me for just a moment? Is it, is it possible that you might be holding up your best and saying, God, I know what you want for my life, but this is what I want. Can't we just make what I want what you want? Man, it's a a tad bit arrogant to say that God would ever bend what he's trying to do. Remember? Save the world so that you can be satisfied with your best. Your best can become an idol that you bow down to and that you serve, and it's completely apart, separated from what God is trying to do. I just hope today that that you might wrestle with me for the next couple of moments. Not only did Abraham and Sarah offer up the best that they could do, they also tried to limit God by the best that they could believe. Whenever God tells Abraham at 99, you are going to father a son next year, he had a very unique response. It says that he fell down on the ground And laughed at God. Now, I am not going to do that for you today, but I wanted to give you a video enhancement of what my mind, how he laughed at God. We'll roll it at this time. Here, listen. That makes makes me happy every time. It just makes me happy. I don't know, contagious laughter. It just gets me, man. I went through a lot of laughs to get to that one. And so I just want you to think about what it was like. God is having a conversation, just like he might be having a conversation with you this morning. And he's trying to tell you that he has something incredible for your life. Incredible. Like it's bigger than you could possibly imagine. Like eternity is in the balance for some soul that you may be in contact with or he may be positioning you to have contact with. And how you interact with this moment is going to impact eternity. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. And through Isaac, God is going to save the entire world. So when we say that there was a little bit riding on the line, Isaac was going to give us the generations that led to Jesus. So without Isaac, we don't have Christmas is what I'm trying to say. Without Isaac, we don't have the cross. Without Isaac, we don't have the resurrection. You see what I'm saying? Is everybody understanding me here? Trying to give a whole Old Testament lesson in the middle of this message, okay? And when God breaks it down for Abraham that, no, Isaac is going to be the way, Abraham laughs like, falls down on the ground and is like, <laughs> what are you talking about, God? What, what are you smoking, God? What are you drinking, God? Like, he is questioning the sovereignty of the Lord Almighty himself. That's how incredible. And the logic goes like this. If I can't believe it, then God can't do it. Do you think that God is confined to what you can conceive? Do you think that, that He's limited to your imagination? That every invention that's ever been created, it's amazing the skeptics' logic. It's like, well, I just don't think that God exists because, you know, I mean, we don't have any proof that God exists. Like, wait a minute. Before we could fly in airplanes, right? Everyone would have said, that's crazy. That's crazy. Nobody, nobody could ever fly in an airplane. That's crazy. Before we ever went to the moon, everybody was like, no, oh, there's no way you could fly a rocket to the moon. There's no way you could actually fly a rocket all the way out to Mars. There's no way that you could molecularly take and deconstruct things and make an atom bomb. These are all crazy things. Every invention is in the face of doubt. And so for us to say that the God who spoke all things into existence is somehow confined to what I can conceive, how big is your God this morning? That's just what I wanna know. I think your God should be bigger than what you can conceive because then it takes faith in order to embrace his yes. Man, I hope that your best, if it's fighting and competing with God's yes, I hope today your best would lose and that God's yes would win. Leads us to our last point. He said, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing." Then God said, yes, the first yes of the Bible, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call his name Isaac. Man, we need to surrender to God's yes for our lives. Think about that. Sarai to Sarah, the yes of God is trying to expand, whereas the best of Abraham and Sarah is trying to subtract when we think of the, the, the yes of God in Abraham and Sarah's life, it's trying to multiply. It says generations. He's trying to expand their generational influence while their, their vision for their life, their best, is trying to contract it. He's trying to elevate them. He said kings are going to be born from your lineage, and their best is getting ready to eliminate those opportunities as they follow after God. So, this morning, I can't imagine that we are sitting in here and immune to that struggle that our best and what we want and how we want it and our plan is competing with God's plan. And on every front and in every situation, God's yes is bigger than your best. God's yes is better than your best. God's yes is more blessed than your best. I hope that you'll wrestle with that this year as we start 2021. And you begin to ask yourself, can I surrender to God's yes? Interesting thing happened this week. Uh, Carrie and I, we were playing a new game, um, old game from college, but we've we've brought it back recently. And uh, it's a game called Nerds. Does anybody know how to play this? It's like glorified solitaire. Um, if you have anxiety, you will not like this game because everybody's like playing at the same time. So imagine you're playing solitaire against a bunch of people. And so like you go to put a card down, they put a card down and it messes you all up, right? So we're playing this game and, and everybody left and it was just her and I and we were talking and... And uh, we were talking about the actual game of solitaire. And we were sitting there, and I don't know, you ever play a game and it messes up the rules of another game? We were like, we couldn't remember how to play solitaire because of this stupid nerds game. And she was like, well, how how do you play solitaire? I was like, man, I feel like as a child, a child could play solitaire. I feel like I should know how to play this game. But I had to sit there and think about it. I was like, I think you just, you know, it's just like nerds. It's just like you're playing. And I started... Like, okay, i got a sermon illustration. You know, when God left Ur of the Chaldees and started following after God, it was a simple game. And then when him and Sarah, when they decided to start playing new games, started going away from God's plan outside of his parameters and outside of his promise, these new games that we start playing, they start confusing the simple games that we used to know. I just wanted to ask you, what games are you playing today? Are you able to play a game that allows you to not do the things that God wants for your life? The things that you used to know are so simple. I mean, when you were a child, it was like, yes, do not lie. Yes, do not steal. Yes, go to church. Yes, serve God. Yes, give to God. All the things, so simple. Every child, like my child, like, oh, God, I want to put my, or God, Dad, I want to put my dollar. If I give him $10, yeah, I'll put my tithe in the offer. So simple, so simple. But then we start playing all these adult games, Right? start playing all these games where we we get to make up all the rules and like, oh, somehow we we use rationale and reason and and we (laughs) circumnavigate through circumlocution. That's a word, look it up. Um, and, And all of a sudden we can arrive at a destination that allows us to justify a Christianity that doesn't have sacrifice, it doesn't have suffering, it doesn't have turn the other cheek, it doesn't have love, it doesn't have forgive, it doesn't have grace, it doesn't have all the things, and somehow we've perforated our Bible where we've torn out all the pages, and what we're left with was just stuff like, well, Jeremiah, he, you know, he said that God has a plan for me to prosper me and not to harm me, and we all want that blessing verse, don't we? We all want, do you know that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet? Did you know that Jeremiah lost everything, that his country was burned to the ground, and that when he's writing that passage. He's writing from a place of deep suffering. And I wonder if we want the salvation without the suffering. Yeah, that's like seven sermons. <laughs> Man, I hope that if you've could caught, been caught up in a game that's caused you to lose what you already know to be true. Abraham and Sarah were trying to say, God, we want to do your will our way and that does not work. You can't do marriage your way. You can't do parenting your way. You can't manage your money your way. You can't manage your purpose your way. You can't do that. On whose authority? Are you God? No. So instead of a whim, let's go with a word this year. Every yes that you're going to make in your life this year, let's surrender to God's yes first. And then we're going to look at a lot of yeses that were said in the Bible. And I think that if we start off 2021 like that, it's going to be a lot better than it was in 2020. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that we would all surrender to the yes. That God, your yes is the best. It's what we need in our lives. It's what allows life to come into death. It's what allows forgiveness to cover our guilt and our shame. It allows the confusion To be clarified, God, I pray for 2021 that it would be the year of favor, that we would be blessed, God, indeed, because we are underneath the umbrella of your protection, inside the parameters of your promise. God, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Would you guys rise and worship with us?